Well, good morning. If I have never met you, I'm Olivia, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Restoration. Would you take a minute just to pray with me this morning? Lord, we just thank you that where my words are insufficient, your words are more than enough. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak this morning. Lord, that you would speak love and life into the, those who are sitting here. In Jesus' name, amen. As most of you know, my husband and I and our family moved here less than a year ago. And when we first moved, I wasn't working. And so I became very familiar with the comings and goings of my neighbors. And I knew, I realized quickly that about 1, 2 o'clock every day, snow, negative 50, didn't matter. I'd hear the sounds of a motorcycle, and my dog would start barking, and it would stop at the corner of Harwell and 160th, right where we live. And this man would get out, and he would stand on the corner, and he'd stare at the ground, sometimes for a few minutes, sometimes for what seemed like an hour. And then he'd get back on his bike and drive away. Sometimes people would come with him. Sometimes there would be flowers. Sometimes there would be plaques that he would bring. My husband and I have had a chance to kind of get to know him a little bit. His son was killed on that corner almost two years ago now. And he comes every day, and he stands on that corner to remember his son. And he has said to us, my son was my son, and he was my best friend. And I just don't know where to go from here. I just don't know who I am without him. We've been talking about this idea of identity, and Rob talked the first week about how we're not what we've done. We're redeemed. And he talked last week that we're not the things in our lives we can't control, how tall we are, if we were born blind or sighted. We are who he says we are. And as much as we know that, there are moments in our lives where we have an identity crisis. And nothing brings that on more than death. When you lose a child, you go from being mom or dad to no longer. When you lose a friend, you become, go from being that person that did this and did that with them on these days, and then it's gone. Death takes from us and I, our identity. And it doesn't even have to be literal. Sometimes we lose a relationship. We go from being married for 22 years to suddenly divorced and single. We lose a friendship. We lose a job. Sometimes it's just something we have hoped for. Maybe you thought you were always supposed to have children, and here you are, 50 years old, going, What happened? They never came. Sometimes our dreams die. Sometimes relationships die. Sometimes people die. And we're sent into this crisis of who am I? Who was I then? And who now am I going to be? We hit these crises and all of a sudden we wonder, where is God? Who is God? And what is he doing? Even people who deny his existence, the minute they hit crisis, who's the first person they blame? 
how could God? We hit the crisis and suddenly we wonder, how now do I relate to the people around me when I'm not who I thought I was? How do I relate to God when I'm not sure anymore if he is who I thought he was? In John chapter 11, I love how John starts out the story of Lazarus. He says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said nothing. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I love how John starts this chapter because he tells us who they were. Because if you didn't know about Mary and how she anointed the Lord's feet with oil and her faith and Martha, you might wonder, reading how they react to the death of their brother. They go into crisis. They question who they are. They question who God is. They, re they relate to one another in totally different ways. This Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus doesn't even come when he rolls into town. She stays home. They seem like completely different people. So I love that John says, this is who they are. See, we know how the story of Lazarus ends, and so it's easy for us to look at that and go, why did they get so hung up? But the things they got hung up on are the same things that we get hung up on when we hit the crisis. We are going to have moments of death. Sin brings it into our lives. Relationships come and go. Things happen. But we don't want to be standing on the corner two years from now wondering, how do I go on? Because God has spoken life. And we don't have to be stuck in the death. But the sisters here in this moment are. And this is where we pick up. In John 11, 5 to 6, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then in verse 11, it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. They appealed to Jesus in love. The one whom you love is ill. And he didn't come. And then we find in verse five, it says, verse 5, it says that Jesus loved them, so he stayed two days longer. When I hear the word so, I think of cause and reaction. I'm hungry, so I eat. I'm tired, so I sleep. This whole Jesus loved them, so he didn't go just doesn't compute with me. How can it be that he loved them and yet he stayed? This is where we get stuck in death. 
How can a God who loves allow this? How can a God who loves me not rescue me? How can a God who loves see all the children in Africa and do nothing? How can he delay two days? But see, John leaves no question. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was their identity. Their identity was that they were beloved. That is your identity. You are beloved. It is immovable, unquestionable, never-ending love. It wasn't about God's love, but his glory. You see, our circumstances are not what determine, define God's love. The cross has already defined that. Our circumstances are God's opportunity for his glory. We get stuck in death when we question the love and forget that there is glory. That God wants to be honored and seen. As Job said in the midst of his trials, I know my Redeemer lives, and I will see him. Though my flesh it be destroyed, with my eyes I will see God. I've told you about my friend Shauna, who was diagnosed with colon cancer. And when she was diagnosed, they told her, your only hope is this one chemo drug that we know works on this particular kind of colon cancer. And they said the only thing is that less than 1% of the population cannot metabolize this particular chemo. And in that case, the chemo will kill you before the cancer will. She was that less than 1%. And I remember sitting in a car with her about a month before she died. I had taken her to one of her appointments, and we were sitting talking, and she said, how can it be that God formed me in the womb, and he made me to be the less than 1%? And then he gave me the exact cancer that would kill me. How can that be? She goes, I feel like he has done this on purpose. And we sat in her car and we talked and we realized that he did do it on purpose. And with a purpose. That his glory here on earth would be revealed. And I will tell you that through her death, God has been glorified and continues. I don't even think we have begun to see what God is going to do through her death. But in all of her questioning, the one thing she held on to was that God loved her. That was the only thing she knew, for sure. That is our identity. When we hit the crisis, when we get stuck in death, it's because we question the love instead of questioning the glory. We see death when God sees opportunity. Opportunity for life. In John 11, verse 17, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. They got stuck in death because they questioned the faithfulness of God. If you had only been here. We see Mary say the exact same thing in a few verses. She says, Lord, if you had only been here. Later on, the crowds, as they watched Jesus stand at the tomb and weep, they said, isn't this the same man who made the blind see? Could he not have saved this man from death? They questioned his faithfulness. His faithfulness, again, is fact. We know in our minds and our hearts that God is faithful, and yet when he doesn't come, when he doesn't show up, when we think he should have been there, we get stuck in the death. For Martha, this was even more complicated. The Jewish culture at that time and the Jewish teachings really didn't say a whole lot about resurrection. In fact, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees who said, yes, it would happen, and the Sadducees who said, no, it wouldn't. So even amongst the Jewish people, there was this great discretion about, about whether or not there would even be a resurrection. And if there was one, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't once you die, you come back. It was this idea that somewhere in the future, way out that God would resurrect Israel as a nation, and the dead would rise then. It was this distant possibility for her. So when he says to her, you know, don't you believe I can raise? And he, she says, yeah, you know, I know that somewhere out there, way beyond what I can see here and now, I get it. And even when he says, don't, do you believe that I'm the Christ? With her saying, yes, I believe it. There's a little bit in there where she's going, yeah, I get that in the messianic age, you know, when the second coming and, you know, or the Messiah comes, he'll set up the kingdom on earth and there'll be a resurrection. But it's this distant teaching. Jesus wanted to expand her faith. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. And if you die, you'll live again. This is a whole new concept for her. This idea that death has no power, that life continues on, that death is but a blip on the radar. He was taking what was a distant possibility and bringing it near. Her identity, her identity was stuck in this. If God wasn't faithful, now what? When God wanted her faith to become her identity. God wants to expand our faith when we are stuck in death. To expand the possibilities of what he might, can, will do. He wants what he is planning what he is capable of, what his power can do in our lives. To go see so deep that it becomes who we are. The impossible becomes possible. What we thought we couldn't, we now can. 
that is life. That is resurrection. That is expanded faith. Not just from, well, I know someday you could. To here and now, in this moment, whatever you have above and beyond what I could imagine. When I was in college, there was a young man at the school I went to who believed with all of his heart that God had shown him that him and I would someday be married. And him and I went back and forth with these conversations, and then one evening he sat down with me and he said, I've heard that you're getting engaged, and I just need to know if it's true. And I said, yeah, it's true, I'm getting engaged. And he said, I don't know where to go from here because I so believe that someday you and I would be together, and I don't know if that's not true, what else isn't true, and how do I move forward? And that night, Bible in hand, he walked in front of a semi-truck on I-5 in Southern California and committed suicide. He was stuck in death. If this wasn't true, if God wasn't faithful in what I thought he was supposed to do, how on earth do I keep going? We get stuck there. We get stuck in that place of if God hasn't done if what I thought was true, what I so believed God was going to do with my life and in my life, if that doesn't happen, how do I keep going? And that is when we pray for resurrection in life, for God to expand our faith, to see beyond and into and deeper to what he could and will do. Elizabeth Elliot wrote that faith's, mo faith's most severe tests come not when we see nothing, but when we see a stunning array of evidence that seems to prove our faith is vain. Our faith is most tested. And what we thought was so right turns out to be wrong. And we lose ourselves in that. But we can be found in him. He didn't come because he had a bigger plan. And he wasn't late. In John 11, verse 32, it just says that now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. We get stuck in faith. 
when we think it's too late, or we get stuck in death when we think it's too late. We think that God is too late, when we think that Jesus has missed the right time. It's interesting, in those days, they believed that within three days, a person could still come back to life if they died. But after three days, it was impossible. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four. By all accounts, Jesus was late. In those days, mourning practices were very um, written out, the law of mourning. And even to this day in Jewish law, the law of mourning and how they're supposed to mourn is, is step by step by step. On the first day, those who were closest to this deceased are supposed to tear their clothes. Jesus wasn't there when that happened. By the second day, the person who was closest and loved the family the most was, the first to, was supposed to bring the first meal. But Jesus didn't come then either. And for the next seven days, they were supposed to sit Shiva where everyone who loved the man or woman who passed was supposed to come and surround the family and sit with them and allow them to grieve. But Jesus didn't come then either. It felt as though he was late. He was late when he didn't come when they called. He was late when he wasn't there tear the cloth when he died. He was late when he wasn't there to sit Shiva. It is easy to feel as though God is too late. My best friend, Jason Morris, he was going to be my maid of honor, but we let him be a groomsman instead. I loved him. He was one of my best friends. He got me through a lot of hard stuff in life. And back in 2000. And nine, he decided that he was going to ride his bike across the country. And somewhere in Iowa, he got, a truck was riding past him just as he was riding his bike, and a tire blew, and it hit him. And he died instantly. And I sat with his mom over coffee, and she said, it's the craziest thing. She said, one second earlier, one second later, had that tire blown, he would still be here. And she said, and just last week, I w his brother met him out in Minnesota, and they sat and they met, and she said, he was telling me how good Jason was doing, how he was closer to God than ever. She said, I was so excited to see that, Jason. And now I don't get to. It felt like God was late. A one-second difference, and he would still here. His, how could it be that God would not want his mom to see him in the best place he'd ever been? How could that be? And as her and I sat over coffee and talked, I realized it's because here when Jesus speaks, he's not speaking to the man in the tomb, but to the women who are left behind. He's speaking to those who are still living. You see, part of that mourning process was after those seven days of Shiva, nobody w was allowed to mourn anymore. They were done. Only the immediate family, and that for only 30 more days, and only if there wasn't a festival, which there was, by the way. And then after that, 
for 11 to 12 months, depending on, on, on who you talk to, then the, only the mother or father of the deceased was allowed to continue to mourn. And at that point, they were done. Why? Because the Jews believed it was more important how you lived now than worrying about what might come. And the only way to live now and here and present was to stop the mourning. God is not late, but he is speaking to life here and now. Because we get stuck in time and space. If he doesn't immediately, then nothing can. Or we get stuck in the future, or we're stuck in the past, and that keeps us in the death. And he is saying, here and now, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense, immediately, without hesitation, I can speak life into you now. He is not late Because in this moment, as you sit here, he is speaking life into you and telling you, I want you to live now. It's not about a one-second difference. It's not about a future or a past. Too late is eliminated when we know that God is here and now. Saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't want us to just stop mourning. He wants to speak life. He didn't want them to just say, after seven days, we're done. After 30 days, we'll forget. A year from now, we'll move on. Here and now. Take me to the grave. I want to open the tomb here and now. He wants to speak life. Uninterrupted by death kind of life. Him as the source and the power kind of life. A here and now life of hope. I am the resurrection and the life. He wants us to live because we're still here. He wants us get out of the death, the things that we have declared dead in our life, the hopes and the dreams we have declared impossible, the sin that we have decided has counted us out. He wants to speak life into it so that we can live and he can be glorified. When Jason and I first got married, we had a group, a small group of friends that we were very, very close with. Jean and Trish were a couple that had done some marital counseling with us and continued to work with us. And James and Kathy were a couple that we spent every weekend at their house dreaming big about what God might do with our lives. And then in this crazy, chaotic twist of fate, or whatever you want to call it, in September of one year, James came forward and turned himself in for committing a crime that none of us could have ever imagined he would ever commit. A crime that was going to send him to federal prison for a very long time. A crime that left his wife, Kathy, in a complete identity crisis. She would change her last name, she would take her two boys, and she would move home. 
and try to redefine everything she had lost to the man who she thought married was not the man he thought she thought he was. And then in October, Jean and Trish's oldest daughter, their only daughter, was driving home from a hair appointment, and someone crossed the center line and killed her instantly, hitting her head on. And in this crazy chaos of Jason and I spending time with Jean and Trish and spending time with Kathy and trying to get everything figured out in the chaos, in some crazy providence of God, the very minute an hour that James sat in front of a judge to be sentenced was the very minute and hour that we sat at Sarah's funeral laying her to rest. And my friend Kathy stood on that stage and sang, For I know my Redeemer lives. It was one of the most powerful moments in my life because I knew that is what it means to declare life into death. None of it made it any sense. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And yet she stood and declared, but I know my Redeemer lives. That is the life that God is calling us to. In Psalm 126, it says that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Those who go out in times of mourning, sowing seed, will return in times of singing with the harvest. You see, we hit death and we just want to stop. We want to stand on the corner and stare at the ground because we don't know who we are or who God is or where to go from there. We get And yet he says that if we sow in those times, there is joy on the other side. The times where we want to stop the most are the times that God is calling to us to live. My friend Harper is three years old and probably the most likable human being I've ever met in my entire life. Harper was an only child with two parents who are awesome and love her and a nanny who is awesome and loves her. And her whole world was these two parents and this nanny. And then her mom had another baby. And then her parents thought it was a really good idea to sign her up for my gymnastics class so that she could experience other things. And as Harper's world has gotten bigger, Harper is having a rough time with the world. And we've made a lot of progress to where Harper will come in without crying, and we're starting to do more during class. But every once in a while, something will change. A new, a new person will come into a makeup class, and it's someone she doesn't know. Or another teacher will come in to help, and she immediately comes up to me shaking and will say, Miss Olivia, I'm not okay. <laughs> She'll go, I just need to be with you for a little while. And I'll take Harper by the hand, and I'll help her across the beam, and then I'll say, okay, now you got to keep going. And Harper will go, okay, I can do this, Miss Olivia. She's about the cutest thing you've ever met. But I will tell you, there are days when Harper comes out to me and says, Miss Olivia, I'm not okay, and I want to go, I'm not either. <laughs> can we just sit down and, and, and just sit together? We moved here a year ago, and I have no clue who I am anymore. I went from being an Oregonian who works 60 hours a week to a Minnesotan who teaches gymnastics for 18 hours a week. I don't know who I am. 
And there are days where I want to say, I am not okay. And here's what I love. Our God does not diminish our sorrow. He wept with them. And I believe he wants to sit with you and say, we can do this together. Let me walk you through this hard part so that you can keep going and live. A.W. Tozer writes, when the Lord looked at us from the cross, he saw not what we were, he was faithful in seeing what we would become. He took away the curse of being and gave us the glorious blessing of becoming. In a second, we're going to play uh, one of my favorite songs. And it starts with, out with this man basically saying, Lord, I need you. And then he says, and I hear you say, my love is over and it's underneath. It's inside and in between. And I want you to take a moment this morning to find those things that you have declared dead. To say to the Lord, I'm not okay. And to feel his love over and underneath and inside and in between. And then Leah will come up with the band and sing a song that will give us a chance to respond. And pray life over the death.